Yeah. Well, if you do need it, uh, it's over here. Okay. Yes, we need to Sorry, do you want to sit up here? I'll just put um, the other commissioner maybe next up. Did you want to jump out or are you good? Are you assigned to many departments or just mainly? I mean, what what exactly is your product? Well, I'm 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 planning specifically but um i've been splitting time between the um permit desk staff on the first floor and here on the third floor which makes it hard for her because she's also part time yeah so um, i'm trying to absorb a lot in a small one yeah. And the reason is just so she can have as much exposure as possible, but it just seems like last couple of weeks it's all over the place. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you are we expecting another commissioner, at least one more? Yeah. Oh, there we are. What kind of do you want? Do you want gallery or speaker? Can I see what speaker looks like? Okay. Good. You want us, or do you want to be able to see who's here? Oh, okay, yeah, no, I do want to see who's here. Okay, just leave it like that then. And we can go from back to forth, or not? No, oh, I can okay. change it. Okay. Oh, you can if you do thumbnail, do the middle one. You can then see Commissioner Ayala and all of us. Oh, right. Hi, Commissioner Ayala. Oh, there she is. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Yeah. 
Well, and documentary building. No. And a lot of what we found, the historic conference is interesting, interesting, is that a lot of it was flipped. Yeah. Flip land. So a lot of houses were moved onto that land, and then there's been constant flooding. It's just been really interesting. The contract shows how resilient the people are, you know, in the so, with that report, uh, as HLC reviews, is it uh, okay to take a comment on the you remember when you commented on the Yeah, no, I do remember. And I, and I saw it is the word wording being received. I don't know if it's <laughs> anything we can make a, a final comment. No. Nothing worth changing. I mean, you make progress, but nothing's going to change. Right. No, I know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we have a forum. All right, welcome to the Historic Landmarks Commission meeting. Uh, this meeting is being held in a hybrid format using Zoom conference call and in person. Here we are in the um, T332 uh, at 200 East Santa Clara Street. <laughs> Members of the public may participate by following the instructions listed on the agenda. Following roll call during our summary of hearing procedure, we will review how the public may provide comment during today's session. Roll call. Commissioner Jane K. Absent. Commissioner Camuso. Present. Commissioner Ayala. Right, present. Okay. Commissioner Arnold. Absent. Commissioner Royer. Present. And Chair Benimarian. Present. The Procedure for this hearing is as follows. After the staff report, applicants and appellants may make a five-minute presentation. I am going to be a stickler on time. So we have several items on the agenda. If you are attending online by Zoom and you would like to speak during a public hearing or a planning referral of general business, please go over to the meeting on Zoom and using the link on the agenda, or you can also call 408-535-3505. If you wish to speak on an item, complete a card, bring it up to Historic Preservation Officer uh, Pete Edwards. And when I receive your speaker card, I will call you forward. If you're attending online, use a raised hand feature on Zoom, or you can press star nine on your phone. And then I will ask the next speaker to stand if they're able, and the uh, speakers who are attending in person will have spoken after they have spoken. The city staff will call out names of those who are attending virtually and have identified the items upon which I to speak. As your name is called, please unmute your device. Phone-in callers, please press star six to unmute. After we confirm your audio is working and your allotted time will begin, each speaker has two minutes. Speakers using the translator have four minutes. Historic Landmarks Commissioners may ask questions to the speakers. Response to the Commissioner questions will not reduce the speaker's time allowance. 
The public hearing will then be closed and the Historic Landmarks Commission will take action on the item. The Historic Landmarks Commission may request staff to respond to the public testimony, ask questions, or discuss the item. If a commissioner would like a topic to be addressed under the one of one of the good and welfare items, please contact planning staff before the commission meeting. All public records relating to an open session item on this agenda, which are not exempt from disclosure pursuant to the California Public Records Act, that are distributed to a majority of the legislative body will be available for the public by emailing planning support staff at sanjosecalifornia.gov. At the same time that the public records are distributed or made available to the legislative body. Before we begin, I want to remind the Historic Landmarks Commission members and members of the public that we follow a code of conduct at meetings. This includes commenting on the specific agenda item only, addressing the full body. Public speakers will not engage in a conversation with commissioners or staff. All members of the Historic Landmarks Commission staff and the public are expected to refrain from abusive language. Repeated failure to comply with the code of conduct, which will disturb, disrupt, or impede the orderly conduct of the meeting may result in removal from the meeting. This meeting of the Historic Landmarks Commission will now come to order. First item on the agenda is deferrals. There are no items, so we go to the second item, cons consent calendar. Again, no items, so we go to the third item, public hearings, and there are no items. So we go to the fourth item, planning referrals. We come to A, file number H22-031, which is a site development permit for the Deer Don Plaza transit-oriented development. Construct uh, approximately 1.2 million square feet of office space within two 16-story towers on approximately 3.09 gross acre site located at 3391 South Montgomery Street and our project manager is Alec Atienza. Alec, would you like me to read the recommendation or will you read that? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll run through it quick. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. Want me to read it then? No, no, that's okay. okay. I'll, I'll okay. Yeah. Thank you, Alec. Awesome. All right. Good evening, everybody. Alec Atienza, I'm the planning project manager on the development review team with the city's planning division. Uh, so, as the chair mentioned, this project is the Deerdown Plaza Transit-Oriented Development Project. It's file number H22-031, and this site is located at 3391 South Montgomery Street in Downtown. Uh, so, comments are requested this evening under Municipal Code Section 20.70.1NC. So, that requires that new structures that exceed 150 feet in a floor area ratio of 6 to 1 and are constructed with 100 feet of a city landmark or contributing structure in a landmark district are to be reviewed by HLC prior to consideration or approval of a development permit. So the project before you this evening consists of the construction of two 16-story towers that include 1.2 million square feet of office space and also associated ground floor retail space, amenity space, and publicly accessible outdoor common open space. So this site is adjacent to Deer Down Station, uh, which is a city landmark and is also listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, and additionally, for the purposes of this commission, the project is also subject to the San Jose Downtown Design Guidelines Extension. 
Um, and in particular, this project is subject to standards related to historic adjacency, which include requirements for height transition, width transitions, uh, and that's one adjacent to historic buildings, as well as historic adjacency guidelines related to building massing, facade treatment, uh, general, general building elements, and ground floor design. And so lastly, this is a reminder that the Per the zoning code, the comments of the HLC tonight are to be included in any development permit staff report and presented to the relevant hearing body. So in this case, the project will be heard at a planning director's hearing. So the permit for that director's hearing will include any of the comments tonight. Um, so with that, I'm going to pass it off to the applicant group and they're actually gonna present the project itself. Um, and then do you want me to switch? Um, did you wanna stand or sit? Um, we're just suggesting it because yeah, the, be the microphone is yeah. easier for people can, to hear. Commissioner Ayala, can you hear? Yeah, okay. You can hear it. Great. Um, all right, you can put it next slide. Okay, there's a little delay, um, but we'll try to work with that. Um, so here you see the location of the project uh, locate, located west of downtown San Jose. Uh, the site is shown in pink, and it's, um, as Ella said, uh, adjacent to historic Viridon Station. Um, and also near the SAP Center. Um, this one-of-a-kind site um, is located in a, in a transit-rich neighborhood um, adjacent to the train station. And given the importance of the site, we worked, uh, we worked diligently to uh, make this project a gateway to the neighborhood while ensuring um, that the design shares a relationship to the historic station. Uh, just a few stats. The uh, the project the project size the development size is 1.1 million square feet of commercial space with ground floor active uses. There's approximately one acre of outdoor space, open space, um, and uh, four levels of parking below ground and uh, ample indoor bike bike parking. Um, this site plan shows the first level of the plan um, of the two towers, along with the central plaza that connects between Cahill Street and South Montgomery Street. Yardon Station is shown at the top of the plan here, and uh, it's cut off the screen, but down here, right here, is um, Kearney Pattern Works um, at the lower right. Um, this image, um, and I'm just going to roll through these first images really quickly so we can get to the, the design standards. Um, but this slide illustrates um, the location of the, the train tunnel uh, below our plaza, and it also shows how the stepped massing sort of frames uh, the historic train station. Uh, 
given the high volume of pedestrian traffic uh, to and from the train station and to SAP Center, uh, we work to create an inviting and open public realm that integrates with the historic sites and um, active ground level uses. The design provides for landscaping, seating, spaces for gathering, generous sidewalks, bike infrastructure, and views of the historic station. Our massing strategy for the towers uh, is made up of shifting volumes, which relate in scale to Deirdon Station. Um, this provides a more human scale to the project and provides opportunities for shade, balconies, and green spaces above ground level. Um, this shows this image shows the public atrium in the North Tower, uh, which um, is envisioned to provide um, ground level retail space with balconies and catwalks working together to create a very active indoor uh, public environment. Uh, this view looking down South Montgomery Street, you can see the proximity to the SAP Center. Next slide. Um, and this, this shows one of the balconies with the views uh, from the balconies looking down to the historic train station. Um, and next slide. So with these next few slides, we'll dig, we'll dig into the exception request um, of section 4.2.2. Um, this slide highlights the relationship between the station and the public plaza. Um, the public plaza is the same width as the main volume of the train station. Um, so it shares a relationship there and, and um, provides an open space directly across the street from the main drop-off area of the train station. Um, it also works to provide views to and from the train station um, through the center of the block. Um, the public atrium, which is shown right here highlighted in purple, um, is that indoor space that I showed in one of the earlier renderings. Um, and um, this, this atrium provides additional vis visual and physical access between Deirdon Station and Kearney Pattern Works right here, and is, is actually aligned with this outdoor plaza um, that is um, part of the future development plans. So moving into the height transition requirements, uh, for this project, section 4.2.2 of the San Jose Design Guidelines states that a minimum five-foot step back should occur at an elevation between 25 and 50 feet from, across from the historic and the historic building. The required setback at the North Tower complies, uh, complies with this requirement. Um, however, at the South Tower, our 15-foot, so we exceeded the five-foot setback, we're doing a 15-foot setback, occurs slightly higher than the 50 feet at 61 feet. And so that's demonstrated right here. Um, so this setback right here occurs at 60, 61 feet, whereas here we're within that 25 to 50 feet. Um, and the reason for this is because, um, you know, this tower, we have a higher four to four heights on ground level. Um, and that's to provide a sense of spaciousness for the public serving amenities at ground level. Um, additionally, the historic, um, oh, additionally, we didn't want to relentlessly align these two volumes in our sort of part of the shifting stacks, um, we wanted to, to provide a little bit more variation between uh, the two buildings. <clears throat> and additionally, the historic station um, is set back from uh, Cahill Street so that it creates 145 feet between the new towers and the station. So it provides um, a much more relaxed relationship between the station and the towers than what would normally be experienced um, if all of these buildings were built right up next to the property line. Okay. 
Sorry. Um, that's okay. We're going to stand slightly lower. The width transition, so for um, in section 4.2.2, it also states that if a new building is across the street from an historic building that is more than 30 feet narrower than the new building, the new building must have gaps in the podium level to divide its street-facing massing into segments no more than 30 feet wider than the historic building. So that's a lot. Um, but um, this section of the guidelines applies to the east side of the development across from Kearney Pattern Works. Um, the historic train station is, is quite a bit longer than either one of our two towers, so, um, so it doesn't apply to that side. Um, on, um, on South Montgomery Street, um, um, Kearney Pattern Works is 114 feet long. Um, so here we have created a gap in the facade at um, 164 feet. Um, so that's slightly bigger than the 144 feet that would, required, would be required. But the reason that we um, located it here is because of that indoor atrium space that sort of diagonally crosses through part of the ground floor um, and wanting to align that this gap, this opening with this outdoor space next to uh, Kearney Pattern Works. So it was a very, um, specifically located gap, um, but because of where we wanted to locate that, we've exceeded that 144 feet by just a little bit. So we're not meeting that um, that section of the requirement to the letter, but I think we're, we're finding a way to accommodate it in spirit. So um, this place opening, as I said, is strategically located. And we believe the atrium coupled with the alignment and views to the Airdown Station and our massing strategy, which you know these blocks are sized to relate to Deardon Plaza or Deardon Station, um, we think it all of this together provides a rationale that is sensitive to this particular site, the historic structures, and the future neighborhood um, on both the east and west sides of the project. And we also brought a model, um, and I think that in the model, um, we are missing Peony. We have Peony Works modeled as well, but it's not. It's not, it's not on the site plan right now, but we actually do have that somewhere in the box, I think. But, but <laughs> yeah, if you look through, you can see how that plaza relates to the train station um, and that that opening provides these sort of long views down towards the train station. And then you can also see how these shifting masses relate and scale to um, the volume of the train station. Oh, you found it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yes. I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. That's but... okay. Um, we have a five minute. Oh, did I? Thing. Yeah. So I, I I know this is a very complex project. You mm -hmm. you need a little more time. You understand that, but um, I think um, is that I, I think I hit the main okay. points okay. of the presentation. So. No more points at all, or, or yeah, you know, I, I would give you. Oh, I, I would give you yeah. a few more. Okay. Well, I think I think moving to the model is, is really okay. nice. Yeah. Uh, because here you can see, um, this is this uh, this distance right here exceeds the requirement, but you can you, see how that. Sure. Yes. You can see how that, you know, aligns with this. Um, this open space right here. So there's some as somebody walking down South Montgomery Street, they will get a view through this diagonal opening through the so you can see the other side, um, which aligns with the organization. Um, and then here too, you can see how the size of this relates to the size of the plaza. And 
height of this relates to the heights of the Jaskaki Kashuki masses. Um, and we think the Shifu axes do a nice job of breaking up that overall scale. Um, um, and that is the, the, the primary move. Secondary moves to break up the scale are these uh, vertical fins um, that are used to provide shade. Um, and then also they are, you know, because they're providing shade, they're articulated slightly differently um, in which the side of the building they're located. Um, and I think that further helps to uh, soften. Um, it's not just a sheet of glass, right? It softens the glass facade um, and provides a variation of scale. Thank you very much. Sure, thank um, you. Let me turn to the commissioners for any questions they have of you. Um, anyone want to raise a hand and ask a question? Yeah, commissioner. Okay. No, go ahead. So, this is always the common dilemma of big building versus little building, big building versus old building. Um, and the short answer, as I see it, is, is that it's been done very nicely. I'm sure that uh, would welcome the project, and I think it's something that would benefit the city. And, you know, there are buildings that are leaders and those that are followers. This may be the building that in a copy manner and rubber scan will illustrate a level of um, competence and quality that I think will go along lines. Someone, a famous architect, once told me that buildings have banners. Good um, manners, bad manners, uh, addressing the context in a way that makes sense. The gap between the buildings aligned with the access of the train station. Although following some historic guidelines, I think is, is quite clever and makes sense. And it, it actually makes the entrance facade of the train station uh, far more valuable, if you will. Um, they, they do the type of work that is appropriate. Um, Excuse me for just a second. Yeah. Do you have a question of the applicants? Because I will ask you for your comments. But right now, if you have a question for applicants, we'll proceed with that. Okay. Um, if you don't, we can we can save any other comments you have. Describe the facade materials, please. Um, there are shading structures. I don't. We haven't really since we're only in. Uh, we're just in entitlement space right now, so we haven't dialed in exactly what materials, um, you know, what, what we're going to be using on the facade, but it's a glass facade with, um, they will be metal fins. Um, we do know that we have uh, wood or wood-like structures on the bottoms of the cantilevers, so that it warms it and it matches um, some of the materials that are used in the historic buildings. I would suggest that the metal fins not be real shiny. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> You know, the idea of reflection and a lot of other things that, yeah. you know, it's not Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be glitzy, but right. it should be solid. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I like the project, but anyway, uh, I'll love uh, you. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come back to you. So you haven't, I, I don't think 
Um, I appreciate your comments, but you'll be able to have time to conclude them. Yeah. All right. So questions? Uh, you have I don't have any questions. Mr. Ayala, do you have a question for the applicant? Uh, per perhaps I missed this, but um, you know, in terms of parking, um, I know that these two buildings are going to occupy, you know, a lot of the parking space currently. So, um, where is the parking planned? We have uh, four levels of below grade parking <clears throat> below the buildings. Four? Did you say four levels? Yeah. Four levels. Four levels on in each tower, or? Yeah, that's right. Um, and we have a parking count off the top of my head. I don't have it, but I had it on one of the slides. Yeah. 780. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. The rate is 0.6. Yeah, that was actually up. Are we, was there another question, Commissioner Ayala? Okay, so I was going to ask that question, but um, the reason for my, the reason I would ask the question is because you're going to have a lot of people coming to use the station. And right now the building is being built on the parking lot for the station, right? So they won't be able to park there. Maybe they'll park there for the building, but where do the people park for the station is my question. You want to take? I can take part of it. So uh, everyone, Aaron Atkin, uh, manager for this. So the way that the, my understanding now, correct me if I'm wrong, the way that the DSAP parking district will work is the entire parking garage will be open to the public. So that could be used by employees. It could be used by guests of that office building, but it also could be used for the people who are driving to the station uh, and to use that parking, both in this office building as well as other office buildings that are in the area. So, you know, Caltrain is you know, obviously well aware that they want an adequate amount of parking uh, for Caltrain users. Um, so that's that's part of the overall and also arena events as well. And also, yes, so correct. In the evenings, open okay. in the evenings. We've been working closely with SAP and keeping them informed. So, what, what we're losing in parking, you're gaining in the four stories of parking, right? Four it, is it equivalent to what was there? Or it's it? about two and a half times the amount. There's, okay. about, there's about 280 spaces there. That okay, day. okay. Between the two parcels, so between right. the footprint of the two buildings. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and just uh, I, I, I'm sure this is correct, but when um, there's a reference to TOD, that's transportation oriented development, correct? Yeah. I just want to make sure. Um, so my primary concern and a question to you would be, and you've already answered it to some extent, is that this is sort of preliminary, but you're thinking of glass and you're thinking of metal. Um, is okay. What consideration did you give to other materials besides glass? Um, and or did you did you consider materials that would be more complementary to Iridine Station? It's a mission revival station. Well, one of the ways that we're and I actually have a slide, but I think we'll yeah, sure. this. Okay. so. Um, you know, one of the things that we're looking at to relate materially to uh, the airdown station, um, we have a cobblestone paving, which I think is, is a, uh, carries a similar scale to the brick um, that's used in the station. Um, we also are planning to use um, wood or the bike. Um, yeah, it's just slow. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, 
We'll talk while I'm waiting for it. Um, it's really sad. Um, <laughs> all right, so here, here we see Darren on station. Um, so one of the things that we found um, is that, you know, there's, there's this, this strong sort of vertical suggestion, um, which I think relates to the things that we're using um, to put shade, you know, to help provide shading. Um, there's a strong vertical suggestion um, here on the facade, and that relates to the column that is inside. Um, so we're picking that up in our facade. Right. <clears throat> Really um, okay, well, that's okay. I can kind of just try that. Um, so the idea is that these these fins sort of pick up that same pattern, and then we have these sort of um, you know a number of different scales, um, which I think relate to the the, the columns, the column grid, and the down station. And then the overhangs here. This is where we're using the warmer material. Um, which I think relates nicely to the wood that you see in the interior of the train station. Um, so do we look at glass? We always look at a number of different materials, um, but I think, um, you know, this, this is the, uh, you know, this is where we landed sort of aesthetically and, um, you know, but as far as what those fins are going to be made of, that's something we haven't even started to um, dig into yet because we're just doing preliminary design things. Okay, just a, a couple other questions. It looks like from that pic picture and also in description I saw in the plan set, you had some corcus, you had some oaks that were planned to be used and, um, and possibly maple, right? And I don't know if you've considered other trees, but um, it would be, I wonder, you know, is it crazy to think that we could plant a redwood tree there? <laughs> you know, I know that redwoods probably you, you say, well, they're very, you know, a lot of, 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 you know, irrigation and so forth may not be feasible. But I think the fact that you've got a very tall building would be nice to have a complementary type tall tree. And some, by the way, yeah, some maples, depending on which type you get, can be very tall. So that's just an idea. Um, uh, let's see. And then the other question, which may or may not, it's not directly related to this, but I'm curious to know, and maybe um, if you say, maybe Dana will say, you know, wait for another time, that's fine. But the Kearney building, I'm curious to know, that is going to be reused is my understanding. Is that your understanding? That's what I assume. Yeah. Everybody know? It's still there. She worked on the Lindley Street as part of the downtown West function. Yeah. So in the approvals for downtown West, it does get shifted slightly south to accommodate post the construction of Post Street, which you're showing. So the historic portion of the building will be relocated slightly south, where I think where you're showing it now. And that building's facade is made out of what material? It's wood. It's wood structure. Yeah. So again, you know, you have different materials. So, all right. Um, with that, any other further questions? We can go on to our next 
I, I have a couple of questions. Oh, um, yeah. Maybe it's too early in the process, but have we done like shadow studies and things like that yet to see how it's going to affect the yeah, station? We, we have done shadow studies, um, and that is actually part of the strategy of the, of the overhang. So the shifting stacks also provide you know shadows um, or provide sun shading on the levels below and also on the classes. So and the trees as well. This is why the trees are there to you know help provide shade for people who are using uh, but I don't space. Shadows on the ground plane. Uh, yeah, I mean, it will create shadows on the ground plane. Uh, yeah, but um, turned around that north here. Which one's north? This is north. Right. That's that's west. This is east. Right. So the sun is going, you know. Pretty much right at the top in the winter, and then it will be more to the side in the summer. Well, to that, and it may be similar to Rachel's concern that was kind of the first thing casting shadow over the existing mm -hmm. uh, station. But it, it seems that uh, there would be some on this side, uh, but. Most of the day, shadows cast Okay. Any, another question? Okay. Um, we'll open any for any public comments at, at this time. Okay, Mike, please go ahead and uh, step to the okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank you, uh, Mike Sidebrand, Preservation Action Council. Um, not to bury the lead, Mac is not opposed to this project as proposed, but I want to give you some context and some concerns that we have associated with it that, that we've been discussing with the folks at your successfully. Um, back in August of 21, we sent a pretty biting letter saying that we were very concerned with the confluence of projects without sort of a, a, a guarantee that the Duradon station was going to survive. And that was addressed to the Peninsula um, Joint Powers Board, right? Which was bringing together high-speed rail, art, you know, Caltrain, Central Valley train projects, really an impressive, you know, confluence of, of transportation services. Our concern was if when we're looking at alternatives, the alternative is a move of the Dermot station, that was not possible if there was something in the way of the only direction it could go, which was to the east. And so um, in the most recent um, November 15th Joint Powers Board meeting, um, presentation was made ostensibly by Caltrain saying that the only, the, the prime alternative is to keep the Duradon station substantially in the same place that it is right now. That's not necessarily defined all the elements that are historic. And so we're, we continue to be interested in, in making sure that there's a maximum level of integration. But in terms of the core, you know, um, the only thing that was presented that, you know, could have caused, you know, some extended thinking is the number of people that are going to be flowing through this building. First of all, it will be an integral part uh, in, in the vision. It will be an integral part of the entrance, not just something set to the side but integral to moving people in and out, but they'll probably need to carve into the two windows that are on either side and create doors. And so they're gonna to have to clear a bunch of space out within the building, but ostensibly 
The building is preserved, celebrated in a huge way. We love the plaza, you know, as it looks through. Uh, we fully recognize that we haven't seen a rendering of the station itself, you know, the disc um, concept. So when you look at the drawing, you see sky in this case, and we're not going to see that. We understand that there's going to be a large elevated track area that's going to have, you know, some sort of structure there. But um, we just wanted to say- Hey, I'm um, sorry, your time is up. Thank you to the Caltrans people for the work that you've done so far to put that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Mark. We have uh, one yeah. Okay. Um, we have one person who's waiting online to speak. Dean. Hi, Dean. Go ahead and unmute your device. You are unmuted. Oh, hi. Um, actually, I'm sitting in uh, room 118, 119, 120. Where was the meeting moved to? I'm trying to find the meeting. We're on the third floor at conference room 332. There was an emergency yesterday. Uh, okay. This yeah, is in the main tower also, um, yeah. the tallest three, building. Three, three, okay, I'll be up there in a while. That's all I need to say. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> one more. Okay. Lillian, go ahead and unmute your device. Yes, I, I've been taking Amtrak and, and Caltrain for years and years. Um, <clears throat> those buildings really dwarf the Amtrak. I, I believe that the station probably will stay there, but it's going to change everything about it. When I park my car, I get free parking when I take Amtrak. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. But my real question is, uh, if you drive around that area, you see a, a bunch of beautiful, beautiful trees uh, that have been there forever. And they are all over there. So when you start building and developing, I believe that trees that have been there for 50, 100, 200 years should be on the historic preservation um, under guideline. That's my personal belief. But how do you incorporate um, or how do you, uh, you know, save some of those trees that are already there? I mean, what are developers fees? in lieu of uh, taking out ordinance and non-ordinance trees for your development. Thank you. Um, well, thanks for that question. Um, I mean, we never uh, take removing trees lightly, um, but in this case, um, we are proposing, um, you know, a, a number of brand new trees to replace the trees that we are removing that work better with the, um, with the new scheme. Um, because we understand the importance of street trees and providing shade. I don't know if either yeah, I, I don't know if there is a specific formula that you have to follow. I don't remember offhand how many trees are being removed versus right. how many are being replaced, but it is part of the overall application. Yeah. Um, so we can provide that information to, to, to resident activists. You happen to have a photo of the trees that are there currently? Not in my deck. Okay. 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 We, did, we did go and Hire an arborist to go tree by tree throughout the entire site, chronicle which ones are you know older and beat the, the ordinance versus ones that are smaller. So that's a, that is part of the application. A good amount of them are street trees too, so right. they can't touch them. It's the Department of Transportation that handles them. So some may come up because DOT already has um, plans for Penn Street. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's downtown west as well, so they yeah. have pretty significant plans to. Realign a lot of those streets. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so that that's all the public speakers we have? I guess so. Dean yes. That's up here. <laughs> okay. Well, Dean may be interested in this item or another item, right? We don't know. He didn't mention. That's right. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, all right. Um, so now is the time for commission questions and requirements. Um, and, and so why don't we start with you, Commissioner Jenke, because you had started and you might want to add a few more comments. Thank you. Um, and uh, I probably finished the one that I'm talking about floor when I did, but I just say that uh, when I see something favorable, you know, the excitement of, of that, Kind of grabs me by the throat, and also seeing something that's uh, very well presented and compliments to the architects. You know, there are three things I talk about the building's manners, and that's fine. Scale, it's a new building, and there's been some gestures for that, that's fine. Uh, the, uh, Thing I think that's quite strong about this, and had it not been so, we would urge that, but it's, you know, what happens in front of the building is actually extended and drawn between the two masses. Um, the sort of asymmetry that was gained by about setting floors is, is nice. But what happens, Jay, considering moving here down the station? At the fiscal station, is that what you're saying? No, we, we thought it was, you know, nearly impossible without just destroying its character. Yeah, um, it would take nearly away. Yeah. I think it's possible. Yeah. Anyway, that's As, but better than, better than, yeah, having it demolished, right? So, 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 there, so it, this is early in the design stage, but something about materials which are. Heard and and having to do with the fins, I, you know, not really that set on the notion of metal, but you know, there have been some you know high flying contemporary architects who have dealt with something like this and fins. Renzo Piano, Renzo Piano building workshop in Italy, Genoa. In several buildings in either France or uh, northern Italy, but they, you know, he had a series of fins, uh, and they were terracotta. And then when I first started looking into it, terracotta, good lord, you know, it's an earthing material, the existing station is early, but they were extruded in such a way that um, they formed the fins very nicely. And you, you didn't look at it as if it was a corny material to try to replicate something. Uh, you look at it and say, well, yeah, well, of course, it makes sense. Um, and in relationship to the existing building, you know, the terracotta, and you can get it in. A lot of forms could reflect a color very in the, in the same palette as uh, the tile on the existing building. But I, I'm thinking about unglazed terracotta, not 
thing you see in 1920 buildings. Um, it was done very, very nicely. As far as trees, I, I trust that they'll be nicely organized. Um, maybe not just bringing the building in that fashion, but because there is some poor they can extend in some of the newly found space. Uh, I, actually, I meant to um, preface this that you know, a long time ago I worked for Perkins and Will and was a senior associate in, in the uh, Washington, D.C. office. And there's a story I can share with the architect sometime about the value of trees, which uh, it's actually quite humorous. I, 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 I think it's a wonderful project. I, I, I just support it 100%. Thank you, Commissioner Jenkins. Thank you, and I apologize. No, 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 no need to. <laughs> One thing I should apologize about is coming down Santa Clara in front of us, there's a Sharks game, and it took me. <laughs> We'll go to any other commissioner, including you, Commissioner Ayala, if you have any comments. Then, right now, okay. I'm going to echo a lot of what Commissioner Jenke has to say about the practice. I love it. I really do. Um, looking at this model here, it's amazing how how small Duradon Station is compared to this project here um, and seen it in scale. Um, and the station is rather imposing in itself. So, um, and I know you have to maximize the, the use of, of the parcel that you're working with, um, but I do like it. I like it a lot. Um, it does not compete with the style, the Italian Renaissance style of the, um, of the original structure here, which I like. And it's very mid-century modern in its own way. And I like that a lot. So it doesn't compete. It's, it's, uh, it's a lovely project. I like it a lot. Um, trees, you know, that's, that's open for discussion, I guess, at one point. But um, I look at Derridon Station as, as San Jose's little version of Union Station in LA. Yeah. And I love the palm trees at Union Station. That might enhance what we have here might work with this mid-century. I look at this as mid-century modern. It's a very modern structure, but there's a lot to it this mid-century in my eyes. So um, I like it a lot. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. All right, Vice Chair Maria. Yeah, I just want to, I, I agree. I think it's great to see buildings instead of surface parking there. Um, and I, I do just in speaking about the trees, there are streets and there's a tunnel there, so I understand there are constraints about additional trees on site, but I'm sure they'll um, be planned appropriately and have what other, whatever other kind of landscaping we can on site. I want to just talk specifically about ground plane and say that I appreciate the connection through the building to the Curie building and the station and just having those visual sight lines. I hope there is an opportunity for um, some coordination between all of the different development entities down here to think about programming and um, tendencies and you know, just so everybody's not competing, everything's working together um, because there is a lot happening there. 
And I know there are overarching entitlement documents that make some things so, but then there is also just the coordination and um, working together as different development teams. So I think um, connecting the plaza of, in front of the station with the future open space next to the community building and having that sight line through the structure is, is the connection point. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, so it seems that we have uh, a lot of people in favor and in, in, in very much uh, complimenting uh, the design of this project. Um, and I want to say that I also appreciate that sight line. It gives easy access to Deardon and allows people to, you know, see it from many different vantage points. Um, and I and I don't necessarily disagree that the this, the modern style, whether it be mid century, I'm not sure, but it's definitely a modern type style, is not uh, competing with the Mission Revival. My concern is that it complements, it should be compatible with that style. And so what, what it, you know, and again, some of the design features of this, the podium and the offsets and so forth, and the scale even, are not necessarily objectionable to me. I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting design. It's, it's the fact that there's so, such a prominent use of glass that is a little worrisome for me. Um, and I, I don't need to review with you, but um, just to mention that when you have, um, when you're doing something in uh, adjacency to a, a historical landmark, you want to make it as compatible as, as you can. And so there's um, compatibility in terms of scale and, 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 and also workmanship and design and, and materials. And so um, I, I would find that, you know, another type of material would be optimal. Um, and so I would ask you to consider possibly more use of brick. Um, again, uh, as Commissioner Jenkins said, you know, the terracotta would definitely complement the, um, the commission's revival style, you know, tile in the Jordan station. And, um, <clears throat> and the wood is great, and I and I and I love to see that as well. I would like to see more of it, if at all possible, especially in the lower floors, because that's what's most visible to people passing by on the street. Um, I also want to say that I like the awnings. I think that's a good touch. Um, in I also kind of like that metal screen. Um, it's an interesting use and it kind of lends a different contrast to what is currently there, which is this, the glass um, walls. So, um, but let's see. That is about all my comments. And so without any further comments from anyone else, I think we can pass on to our next item. Unless there's any further comments. Commissioner okay. Ayala, any further any comments at all? No? All right. Thank you very, very Thank much. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Danielle, can you please um, yes. move over Becky Urbano, please, into the session? Yeah. Sorry, what was the name? You're going to be in there. What's that? <laughs> what was the name? Becky Urbano.
That's for free. I have to charge you. That's something we don't often get. So I appreciate the model. Requirement map. Yes. I know you're always doing that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not really. During all those downtown projects we had, he's always saying. Everybody got to take taking pictures? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that's okay. Our next uh, item on the agenda is item yeah. five. Yeah. I think we're going to have to read it. Oh, yeah. 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 You can use that, you know, the, the long plan oh, yeah. that's out there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of wondering what's going on here. I mean, this is just a that our next item on the agenda is item five general business. Our first item is A, how we historic context and survey. Our project manager is Dana Peach Edwards. The recommendation would be to receive the presentation by ESA on the findings via El Viso historic context and survey. Yeah, I just want to introduce our um, consultant um, from ESA, uh, Becky Urbano. She's been She's been the project manager from the ESA side. Um, and gosh, Becky, how long have we been working together? Like a year and a half almost? How long has it been? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this has been 18 months, give or yeah. take. <laughs> so she's here to um, just give a final presentation, the draft historic context, um, the survey report, and the DPR forms have been finalized. Um, and so she's just here to give a kind of presentation summarizing the project and the findings. All right, so I'm going to go ahead you. and share my screen. Okay. All right. Everybody see that all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, commissioners, for your time. Um, I'm very excited to present the Alviso Historic Context and Survey. Uh, as Dana said, we've been working on this project now for about 18 months, 
And um, it's been a fascinating project on many different levels. So we're, we're excited to share the new and revised uh, story of Elviso um, as at least according to planning documents, uh, as well as to present some of our findings for potential historic resources in the area. All right, hold on one second. I got to switch between, there we go. That's what it okay. Come on. I'm not sure why the screen will not, there we go. Wow, that is some delay. Okay, <laughs> noted. Um, okay, so this, project is sort of the latest iteration of a series of projects that were put in place uh, when San Jose adopted the survey strategy in 2017. The first piece of that was development and adoption of a citywide historic context uh, update, which the draft was completed in 2021 and you recently adopted the final, uh, I think in July of this year, so congratulations. Um, one of the recommendations from that project was to do neighborhood surveys, and the Elviso neighborhood was one of the neighborhoods selected as a priority area for further study. So even though you may have seen presentations on the Martha Gardens Historic Resource Survey, which was recently completed, Elviso was actually the first one selected it just took us a little bit longer to get going and the scope of the project was a bit broader. Um, so this is also being joined by the Five Wounds Historic Resource Survey, which is currently underway. So this is, again, part of the overall strategy to update the historic resources and knowledge of the historic resources within the city of San Jose. Um, the Alviso project is jointly funded by the city of San Jose and the county. And as one of the stipulations of that grant, the documents produced for this project um, are supposed to be publicly accessible. So we've made great efforts, I think, in this project to make sure that our documents were not only publicly accessible, but that we were engaging with the public uh, where it was appropriate at different points in the project timeline. Um, <coughs> sorry. So to that end, um, we have finalized the uh, historic resource context and our survey report. We do have one final deliverable, which will be finished in the next couple of weeks, and that is our story map. And that will provide a more interactive way to gather some of the information from the context um, through the website that's been set up for the project. And this has definitely been a joint project with planning department and ESA. Dana has been instrumental in helping us with community outreach, with fielding community comments, and um, you know providing us all kinds of uh, support and connections where we needed to in the project. So this has been um, a real collaboration. Okay, we'll wait. Very long minute. There we go. <laughs> Very long minute for that to go. Okay. So um, the goal of this project was to update the historical narrative around Elviso. Um, the typical story that's told about Elviso is about the port of Elviso, which is 
Uh, until recently, one of the only recognized historic resources in the area. And the Port of Elvisa was definitely historically important. Uh, it was founded in about 1870, or sorry, 1840, uh, reached a peak in the 1860s, but when the railroad bypassed Elviso um, in the in 1864, uh, a lot of the transport and uh, commerce that was coming through the port of Elviso switched to railroad and no longer went through this uh, this part of the South Bay. So once the railroad bypassed it, the port of Elviso started a pretty swift decline. Um, and that's generally been the story told of Elviso uh, that it was the port of Elviso. But there's so much more to the neighborhood. And that was really the main focus of our, our study here was to look at the more closely at other aspects of late 19th century history in Elviso, but also to look at the community itself. I mean, Elviso was an independent city up until 1968. Uh, it was one of the earliest cities. It was chartered uh, when California became a state. Uh, very early charter, um, and it served as an independent governing body until 1968. And it it had its own community, its own identity, developed quite separately from San Jose and from the region around it. And so the context really tried to tell the story of El Viso as its own unique thing, um, and to look at that more holistically, both at the people who made El Viso um, the community that it is, but also to understand what was important to that community um, rather than having you know, the outside folks kind of come in and say, this is what's important, really trying to get a sense from the community what they valued and what was important to them in their everyday lives living in El Viso. Um, so after completion of the historic context, we moved on to the survey and the survey was iterative. We had a couple different goals um, the first part was to update existing documentation, primarily around the port of Elviso, uh, which I'll get to in just a minute. Um, there was another historic resource that is was had been identified, and that is the Bayside Cannery. So we provided updated documentation on the cannery as well. Um, and when I say updated, they were identified uh, more than more than thirty years ago, and so none of them had uh, proper or I would say uh, what we consider current types of, of evaluations and documentation. So they all now have DPR forms. Um, they all have um, evaluations that have all the components that you would expect from a historic resource evaluation in the 2020s. And then the second part of that was to identify new resources. And um, we, we actually we had uh, money in the budget to look at and evaluate 12 different properties within the larger Elviso neighborhood. And then we have recommendations where additional studies could be useful to either document additional historic resources, um, there's some potential historic districts, as well as ways to commemorate and recognize community assets that might not meet our traditional definitions of historic resources. Wait for it. <laughs> Do, do, do. The next slide is scheduled. It's not very exciting. <laughs> Come on. Oh, there we go. Okay. So just a brief overview of the schedule. Like I said, this is a an 18-month project. And um, it began 
Oh, looks like my edits didn't make it there. We actually kicked this off in June of 2022 internally. And that's when we first met with Dana to go over the uh, goals for the project, kind of establish the timeline and to identify some of the community groups who might be interested in participating. Uh, we then scheduled a public kickoff, and this was a virtual kickoff in September. And that's when we really began the project in earnest. Um, so we had a number of community outreach events uh, that included both in-person workshops. Uh, we, we did an in-person uh, listening session and sort of facilitated discussion at the Elviso Library, and that was in November. Um, the project included a number of personal history interviews, um, oral histories for individuals who lived in Elviso, had connections to Elviso, or had information that they wished to share about their experience in Elviso. Um, we did a series of uh, reconnaissance and intensive surveys to document the known and potential resources within the district. Um, that culminated in late May and early June, where we finished our preliminary draft. And after a job doing revisions to the draft, um, based on comments from, from Dana, the draft was released to the public in August. And it was available for a month for uh, public comment. And the nature of the public comments we received really included uh, quite a bit of additional detail and information to that filled out a lot of the information that was being presented. So there was a bit of a pivot in September where we looked at the existing budget and with approval from the city of San Jose, allocated uh, some of that existing budget from what would have been additional deliverables to really take that money and concentrate it on a, um, addressing the comments and incorporating those comments more fully, both in the context, uh, in our survey and evaluation, and also on the story map, which again will be published shortly. And a lot of that information had to do with sites that uh, no longer have buildings or no longer have the building that uh, was being memorialized or memorized by the, the community, but the site itself still had value within the community for its um, for the memories and for the uh, associations they had with it. So we tried to do a, a more thorough job of looking at those sites, which is not typically something we would do in a historic resource survey because we're looking at the built environment um, and where things are demolished. We generally will, you know, you know, maybe put a plaque up, but we're not going to do a whole lot of research. And so that was a bit of a switch here is that we really took some time to understand, like, this was important to the community. So we took more time and um, put more effort into uh, making sure those places had some uh, place within both the survey report and the context, that that information was captured uh, in a way that could be referenced later and um, was meaningful for further study. Okay. Um, the next part's community input is coming. So I'm just gonna start talking about it now. So we did quite a bit of community input uh, and that included, like I said, both virtual and in-person efforts. Um, we tried to incorporate 
different levels of community input throughout the entire process. And this always seems to go better when I switch. There we go. Okay. Um, so early in the project, we had a virtual kickoff and um, that had a pretty decent community participation considering, you know, this was something fairly new and people are familiar with it going through the pandemic. But, um, you know, for a project kickoff, that's we had, I think, close to 25 or 30 individuals who participated, which felt really good. <laughs> um, and they were very engaged. So what that allowed us to do is to have some additional input with specific groups, um, including La Raza. And I apologize for not spelling that correctly. I thought I fixed the La Raza. Um, but we also had direct email uh, communication with several members who participated in the kickoff. Uh, there was a web portal set up where uh, community members could input information directly into a form on the website. Uh, they could upload photographs, they could put in text, they could provide their contact information. And from that, we generated a list of community members uh, who were interested in the project and held an in-person community listening session at the library. And the photographs that you see here were some of the uh, large panels uh, that were generated through that facilitated discussion. We had particular themes that we were looking at for the historic context. We had a number of easels set up around the room um, and it was, we gave people markers and they could go up and they could write, uh, you know, their recollections or, you know, what they thought of under these various themes. And then we went back through, had a, a, uh, asked some questions and really tried to tie the memories to specific places uh, in the community. And um, that was followed very closely by a number of interviews, which occurred both virtually and in person. Uh, by one of our architectural historians. And uh, she took some of the information that we were gathering through research and through these listening sessions, tried to tease out a little more information from individuals who may have knowledge about that. Um, that was very interesting, uh, but some of the sessions quite fruitful and some of the sessions people, when, when working one-on-one, -on -one, um, found it a little more difficult to, to get to the information. Like, so for some folks, the community session really got the juices fired and, and they were really to, um, you know, uh, feed off of the energy from other folks and, and the conversation really flowed. And for some other folks, the individual interview was really where they felt most comfortable. So that was definitely a lesson learned here, um, trying to understand the different communication styles for the various community members and, provide a variety of access points that allowed folks to uh, engage with the process in a way that they felt meaningful and, um, and comfortable. Um, so I highly recommend in future projects having that variety because it really did uh, allow us to get to the information from different angles. Um, and that really set up our sort of the last round of our research. So as we started into the survey phase, um, having that individual information, we could then go through and try to do as much substantiation as possible. Uh, and then in the end, we, you know, with the draft documents, as I said, they were put up for public comment and we did reallocation of the budget to respond more fully to the comments uh, that were provided. All right, so now we're gonna get to some of the findings. 
eventually. Come on. Okay. So um, we tried to follow the format of the uh, citywide survey and the citywide survey, um, the handbook that was developed as part of the citywide survey updates. And that identified various themes that were important to city of San Jose and regional developments. Um, we tried to apply those as best as we could to Alviso. Uh, it was a little challenging because Alviso developed as its own thing, as its own independent city, and didn't necessarily share all of the same uh, development periods as uh, the larger region. Um, in, in some ways, it, it was quite independent, both in its development history uh, and in its periods of boom and bust. So um, where we could, we, we tried to make sure that the framework was consistent with the citywide uh, historic context, um, but we did allow for um, variation to make sure we were really capturing the Alviso neighborhood as best as we could. Um, and so this kind of shows, we uh, we looked at different periods and there is some overlap um, in, in some of these periods in the context itself um, because they don't have hard cutoff dates. Um, we certainly looked at, I mean, these are fairly traditional time periods, um, although we did take Port of Elviso and made it its own thing because the history during that time, that development history was tied uh, much more closely to the water, uh, whereas later phases was tied much more closely to the people. Um, but the end is that, again, we tried to make the document very uh, focused on Elviso, its unique history. We tried to make those connections to San Jose and the broader area where it made sense. Um, but we also recognize that there's a lot of story uh, and history here that doesn't necessarily have an equivalent elsewhere. Um, one of the very unique things about Elviso is intensely strong community identity. And so that was something we tried to capture both in the nature of the resources that were evaluated, but also in the narrative of the document. Okay, so what did we find? <laughs> okay, so the first one, Port of Elviso. So Port of Elviso, um, it was first documented in 1973. Uh, it was nominated to the National Register and listed in 1973. Um, there's been quite a bit of change in the district since 1973. So part of our goal was to update that documentation to include building descriptions, current building descriptions, um, to note where resources have been lost. And there are several that have been lost since it was first documented, documented in 1973. Uh, and there's uh, resources that have been moved. So there's been some changes within the district. And that was kind of the purpose of, of our efforts is to make sure that the documentation was now up to, um, up to current standard, but also to rectify some discrepancies because the National Register District boundaries are different from a later documentation phase that established a California point of historical interest. That happened in 1995 and became the basis for the current landmark, uh, the San Jose City Landmark District. 
that those boundaries are different from the National Register boundaries. So our documentation helped to um, clarify that, provide uh, sort of a, a history of how things got where they were, um, but also to um, make sure that everything was set up. So the boundaries of the San Jose Landmark District are actually the boundaries of the historic district as documented. And there's a district form and then individual um, DPR forms for each of the 15 resources that uh, uh, remain or did when we started the project. So that is, um, that is one thing. We do have documentation on the Wade Warehouse uh, because that was completed prior to its demolition in um, April. So we kept that in there with a note that there had been changes to it and that it was no longer fortunate. As a sub-district within that uh, Port of Alviso, we identified the Bayside Cannery District. Now, portions of this district had already been identified, but not properly documented. The cannery itself is actually noted in the five views, uh, which is a seminal document created by the uh, by OHP, by the Office of Historic Preservation, uh, the State Office of Historic Preservation. They created this document in 1988 as a way to identify and um, sort of bring attention to the contributions of marginalized communities, five of them, <laughs> including the Chinese. Chinese Americans. And in the examples of Chinese American contributions to the history of California, they do note that one of the most influential was the Bayside Canning Company, uh, which was founded here in El Viso and has portions of it remaining. Now, that didn't actually nominate anything or document anything. It's more of a contextual it's a book, it's, a, it's more of an academic exercise. Um, one of the buildings, number one, the main cannery building, that was documented in 1997 under HABS documentation. So there's a good deal of context that was there already. So our job was really to take that existing information and again, package it up into a formal district um, and um, bring it up to current professional standards. And with that, we identified four contributing elements to the district that include the main cannery building, the union warehouse, uh, this, uh, what was sometimes known as Oberon Marina, uh, but is also known as the Chinese cookhouse and the office building. Now, the California Point of Historical Interest notes there are additional sites related to the Bayside Canning Company. Um, we are recording those sites on the story map, but they are not included in the district because they are sites. There is no built feature there that ties it to the cannery. So this is how we tried to balance the uh, sort of the standards of integrity of what would constitute a district or a resource with uh, trying to capture information uh, that is important and useful to the community. So the 12 additional properties that we evaluated were spread across El Viso, as you can see, 
Um, they are all outside of the Port of Elviso Historic District. So they're all outside of the area that has already been fairly well documented. And they run the gamut from civic buildings like Old City Hall um, and the elementary school to the Elviso Health Center, which was very seminal and important to the community, to churches such as the Our Lady Star of the Sea Catholic Church, um, to businesses. There's a longstanding market up here at 11 at Lujan's Market that um, serve the uh, Spanish-speaking and Mexican community really associated with the labor camps um, when it was founded. It's been there since um, the 1960s. And then also recognition of other institutions in Alviso, such as Perkins Store, which also served as the post office for quite some time and uh, was a center of Alviso's community uh, to longstanding businesses like Bell. Um, we looked at a broad range of things. We tried to make sure they were representative of the types of um, buildings, businesses, uh, community features in the in the Alviso neighborhood to provide um, a sense of how the community functions and what was important to it over time. Um, this was not a wealthy community, uh, but it was very tight knit and very proud. Uh, and they took care of, of themselves in many ways. And some of these re um, resources are meant to recognize that, uh, that spirit. And in those findings, we are recommending uh, that there are five, um, five National Register eligible properties. They include the Port of Alviso Historic District that is already listed. Um, that includes the Bayside Canning Company Historic District, which is that group of four that um, I showed on an earlier slide. There's the individual Bayside Cannery building, um, which was the, the main component of that district. The Alviso Health Center uh, at Gold Street, which is the third photograph here. Uh, and the former CSO, Community Service Organization Office, uh, which is located near the health center uh, on Liberty Street. And this building, the former CSO office, also served as a classroom building for the Elviso School before the Elviso School uh, was uh, demolished. It's the last piece that exists from that early educational campus. Uh, we also found there are five National Register eligible properties. They include Old City Hall, uh, which is located on the left, um, Val's Restaurant, the Perkins Post Office and Store. Um, and just incidentally, these are all eligible under Criterion 1, which is association uh, uh, for events and trends. and. Primarily, it's because of their role in the support and uh, continuance of the Alviso community over time. And they all kind of, they all contributed to um, various parts of the community, uh, various themes within the community and different time periods, but they were all central to uh, communities, the, some of the um, sub-communities within Alviso, as well as Alviso as an independent entity. Um, so the, the Catholic Church uh, and the market, Lujan's market. 
And then at the local level, we have four, we're recommending four structures of merit, which include the first San Jose City Firehouse. Uh, it may not look like much, uh, but it is interesting because it was a residence that was moved to Alviso to serve as it was the first city of San Jose civic improvement after the uh, Elvisa was consolidated with San Jose in 1968. This was the first piece of that new arrangement um, that happened immediately after consolidation. So it was sort of the first element that brought city of San Jose into Elvisa to try to bring the two communities together. Um, and then as representative examples, we have two relocated residences. So this is an area um, for further study, <laughs> I'll get to it in a second. Um, what is highly unusual about Elviso is that most of the community outside of the Port of Elviso area, so most of the area uh, east of Gold Street was formed from relocation of homes from other parts of the city. Um, comparison of aerials between the mid 1950s and 1968 show a whole community of blocks and blocks and blocks of houses that appear over this time, but they aren't being constructed by individuals. They are being moved from redevelopment projects elsewhere in the city, some coming from uh, the airport redevelopment, some coming from areas cleared for highway construction. Um, if you walk through the um, Elviso now, <laughs> you'll see a range of architectural styles. None of them date to the 1960s. They all are early 20th century architectural styles from these um, homes that were moved. And the, the story is that um, Elviso as a city sold lots in this area, uh, this part of Elviso, the 12 blocks um, to the kind of over by the elementary school, the current elementary school, sold those blocks very cheaply. They were trying to raise money to do uh, street improvements. So these were empty lots, farmland that were then sold uh, inexpensive at an inexpensive rate, but they had to be improved within a year. So uh, folks were able to get cheap land. Most of the houses moved there were offered for free. You just had to move them. Uh, and the community of Elviso was expanded tremendously through these efforts. So it looks like has lots of traces of an uh, early to mid 20th century neighborhood, but it did not exist prior to 19. Uh, and then we also looked at the uh, elementary school, uh, which replaced the earlier uh, elementary school that was on Liberty Street. So we found that these uh, all met the criteria for structures of merit uh, for the HRI. So looking forward, um, some of the recommendations that came out of this effort from the context and survey effort is uh, there, are, there are areas that really could use some additional study. And there may not be a whole lot left in the built environment, um, but they do, they do provide um, layers of history to not only Elviso, but to the um, development of the region. And um, they are areas that aren't necessarily told. 
um, in particular labor camps. There were a number of labor camps and they constituted large sections of Alviso through the 1970s. Uh, looking at aerials from 1968, there still are, um, you can easily see the various labor camps in some parts of the neighborhood. Um, the Many of the community members now date their arrival in Alviso to migrant working uh, in, the, in the Bracero program in the 50s. So um, there, the only trace of this that we found is there is a shed, a single one, at Catherine and Liberty Streets that looks like it, uh, that is reportedly from the cannery. And the Bayside Cannery had a labor camp of, it, of its own that had these small cabins. Um, when the cannery closed in 1936, the cabins remained for some time. Um, but then by the 1960s, a lot of those small sheds had been moved to the other side of Elviso. Um, so we see a number of sheds lined up around the Catholic church. Um, we see a number of the sheds out a little further towards Lujan's market, um, where we know that there were labor camps at that time. And so these sheds were moved all over the district to serve whatever purpose needed. I mean, they were temporary housing for a number of different communities. So we think there's one shed left, um, and it's at Liberty and Catherine Street. Um, uh, another uh, possible theme for further exploration and a po possible district is looking more closely at all the buildings, the houses that were relocated to Elviso and um, this creation of a neighborhood rapidly um, and from discarded parts from all the rest of the, the city. Uh, so something new was created out of uh, what was uh, old and going to be lost. Um, there's also additional research that can be done on the role of the Catholic Church in helping to facilitate that relocation and the development of that neighborhood. <clears throat> As I said, Alviso was an independent city for uh, quite some time. So we have not documented every building that is associated with that early period, but there are a number of residences uh, and sites that uh, are affiliated with that early development of Alviso that could use whoops, further study. Um, there's also a number of legacy businesses and commercial sites. Again, I stress sites. Uh, a lot of these businesses have been lost, uh, but there are a number of them that uh, have a long history in Alviso. Um, and there's uh, additional research that definitely can be done to help support documentation of the legacy businesses. Um, churches and social spaces, there are, uh, other than the Catholic church, there are a, num are a number of other churches, and those churches have been converted from other buildings. Uh, some of them were churches and have now been converted to other spaces. So they, they've had a lot of different uses. There's also a number of churches that have been lost, but uh, were remembered fondly by various community members. So this is another theme that we feel, especially in terms of sites. Um, could use some further research and documentation. And again, the oral histories here were really quite fascinating uh, and the community provided us with a great deal of information and documentation. So we tried to do our best to capture as much as possible. Um, I don't think this is unique to Alviso necessarily, but um, this effort really, uh, I think exemplified 
how much this area means, how much you know, neighborhoods, this place matters, and it matters to the people who live there. And they have stories that they want to tell, and their stories directly color their relationship with the with the surrounding area. So when considering planning uh, decisions and you know new projects within these areas, I think it really is important uh, to make sure that it's sensitive to the community uh, vision and um, identity for itself. And so as part of the historic context, there uh, definitely is more information that could be drawn from the community. We've kind of just scratched the surface. And then in terms of this project, we have next steps would be our story map, which is uh, being developed as I speak. Uh, it should be done in the next couple of weeks. Um, this is a brief shot of um, some of the working graphics. Um, we don't have any underlying photographs here, but uh, looking at some of the potential labor camp locations. So again, a strong part of the story map is trying to capture these sites where we no longer have the buildings, uh, but that we have photographs and we can at least help people orient um, visually like where they are on maps and spatially as well. That's the presentation. I'm ready for questions. And that's very orange, so I'm going to stop sharing. <laughs> okay, um, are there any questions? For... I'm sorry, Becky. Yeah. No, it's okay. Very, very well covered. Very well done, Becky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and pub public comments? Thank you. Are there any comments online? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, you do have a comment? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. Mark said no. <laughs> um, Mike, uh, it's Preservation Action Council. Uh, first of all, thank you. That was inspiring. I love the outreach to the community. I love, you know, the aspect of even if the building is gone, there's still something about that ground. I know that uh, the story needs to be told. Cool. I love I'll be interested to see if there's comments from the public on this, the uh, sort of the untold stories of the people that really helped build the valley, but didn't necessarily get the sort of stature and recognition that we uh, attribute to some others. Um, um, yeah, no, that's just, that's great. Um, we uh, commented on this back in August. Um, we noted in the presentation today and back then that many of the buildings are eligible for valuable state and national rehabilitation tax credits. Many candidate landmarks are eligible for MILSAC property contracts and many structures of merit to be listed on the HRI. And so I think the real challenge is all of this data needs to translate into action. You know, um, we were out there for the Day on the Bay um, uh, event recently, and Bayside Cannery is in terrible shape and may not last very much longer. And so um, I was very intrigued by your comment about the story map um, as Pac San Jose has a grant to laser scan the entire historic district and capture it you know, from the outside. I'm gonna try to do some of the inside too, but I would love to tie together um, with your project if that is acceptable to the city. Um, I think it would be a fantastic way to show in more depth um, you know, what, what the map it actually is of the structures themselves. Um, I guess the last thing I want to say is um, 
we do want to encourage that the nomination of the individual fillings that have been found eligible goes forward. And I don't know if that starts here or where that starts, but um, it would be a shame after all this work not to, to take that next step. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Commissioner, comments at this point? No. Commissioner Ayala, do you have a comment? I just wanted to say that, um, wow, uh, very comprehensive review. Um, you know, just raised, uh, you know, just more curious questions um, about uh, all the oral histories that were done and where they're going to be archived. Uh, just more, more curious because, you know, all of this work is wonderful and, and uh, should be preserved. Um, but no, I, I was... Uh, just a, a comment of, of uh, a job well done. Thank you. Um, I will say, just to kind of put it, put it out there, one of the tools that we used in the assessment of the historic resources uh, was the uh, Latinos in the 20th century historic context that was put together by, the, by OHP, by the state SHPO. And it was very, very useful in that it provides a framework for um, some alternative assessments of integrity, uh, which in this case, and I think really when you're dealing with underrepresented communities is essential. These are communities that didn't own their own buildings in many ways and many times. Um, these were buildings that were used and reused and remade um, and it's their function, not their architecture, that makes them important. Um, and that can sometimes get lost in our traditional assessment of integrity. So I really appreciated the guidance that the state had provided uh, in providing more flexibility there. We weren't making this up as we went along, um, but there definitely is a movement in preservation to figure out and design a more flexible assessment framework um, so that we aren't excluding important sites to communities whose voices aren't the loudest in the room. And I'd say the city of San Jose did a tremendous job here in encouraging us to, to think about this more critically. And, and you know, Dana was very supportive and leading the charge in many ways. So, you know, kudos to the city for, um, for, stepping out of the traditional box a little bit. Becky, did you have um, a response about the the oral histories and what will happen oh, to them? So at this point, uh, we have rough <coughs> transcripts and we do have video recordings. Um, at this point, we don't have a plan for where those are gonna be archived. And um, that's, I guess, part of a, an on a discussion to to be had. Um, generally, what would happen is they'd be turned over to the city as part of our documentation at the end of the project. Um, but at this point, there is no plan to archive them officially with the library or the uh, History San Jose. We do have one hand raised on. Yeah, I just to follow up on that, Dana. I think that. If the materials are in some way getting to fall into your hands, it might be useful to have them um, archived in 
the library, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, in, there's a fifth floor, you know, the California room. Mm -hmm. and they might be very interested in that kind of uh, archival work. Okay, yes, I do see that we have Dean. Dean, are you there? Danielle, can you allow Dean to speak? Hi, uh, you are muted. Unmute. Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, this is, this is Dean McCulley. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm over here in a conference room uh, near Council Chambers, and the network's been flapping all night, so I may have missed this, but I run the Sea Scout unit at the um, at the Yacht Club, and I didn't see any coverage or any mention of the Yacht Club. Was there an issue with getting to us or something like that? Uh, the Yacht Club is included under the Port of El Viso umbrella. Uh, oh, it was I see. Yeah, it was included in the 1973 National Register nomination. And so we yes. left that as is. And um, the to prioritize the funds available for the project, where we already had a resource, we focused on updating that documentation and not necessarily doing too much to uh, augment it or um, or change it in any way. We really tried to focus on identification of new resources and at least bringing the old stuff up to a professional standard. Yeah, got it. And you're working with you're working with Catherine Liu, my partner. Is that true? Um, she's, she's been videoing some, um, um, you know, some interviews as well at the okay. Yacht Club. We're kind of working with her on that to get a little bit more documentation, which is probably out of the scope of what you've been doing, but I, I don't know. We have not been working on that effort. No. Okay. Let's have lunch with Catherine someday or something. <laughs> I think she has some interesting information that uh, might be of use to you. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Great job, by the way. I can't. I can't wait to see all this stuff. It's neat. It, it's all available online, Dean. If Very cool. If you want to contact me, I can give you the link. Yep. Oh yeah, we'll be in touch for sure. Thank you, Dean. I all right. Uh, at this point, um, I'd like to thank um, Becky. Your presentation was extremely comprehensive and appreciate all the detail that you put into that. Um, it's been a very important work. And um, I also want to concur with the, the survey's findings. The, the Bayside Canning Com Company does qualify for historic district, also candidate city landmark under A1 uh, for Chinese American uh, culture link. And B2, Thomas Foon, who is a fake, uh, Chu, who was a very famous Chinese American. Also for criteria is one, two, one, three, and four for the city landmark. So following up on a question that was posed by Mike, um, what is our next step? Will these be, um, you know, will there be a landmark designation? Will there be, other things, um, the, the structures of merits might be put on the HRI. Do you know um, what the next steps will be after the report has been completed? Um, well, the report's completed, so. Except for the story. Right, except for the yeah. story map, um, which will be a digital thing rather than a okay. document. All right. Um, but I suspect, looking at Robert, that something would need to be considered in the work plan for 24, right? 24, 25, gosh, is that right? 
Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to let this just, just slip we by. We have a, right? a fiscal year work plan that's already finished yeah. till, till this summer. Okay. Well, thank you very much again. Um, with that, unless there's any further comment, I would like to propose that we take a five-minute stretch break. Is that possible? Can we do that? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. I, I really need to stretch myself. So. Sure. Okay, thank you. I'm not the only one. Yeah, so we'll be back at, uh, I have uh, 10.15 or 8.15, so let's meet back at, eight, at 8.20. Thank you. <laughs> Mercy. Love the bar.
Dana. Um, we can't hear anything on the Zoom. Sorry, I muted us while we were on the break. But we are now on... Okay, we can hear you now. Thank yeah, you for we saying. We are now on um, Project sorry, General Business 5B, Modifications to the HRI, and Dana Peak Edwards. Uh, the recommendation is for staff recommends that the Historic Landmarks Commission remove 505 South Market Street, listed as a structural merit from historic resources in Victoria. Okay, Chair um, The property is recommended for removal because of significant modifications that were made to the Spanish colonial revival style building since it was listed. Um, it was documented and evaluated in 1997 by architectural historian Ward Hill. Um, as part of a survey for a development project, the Market Gateway Apartments. Um, it was constructed in 1921. Um, at that time, it was the Eagle Body Manufacturing Company. Um, there's been various auto body businesses in the building. It was later used as an auto parts store for more than 20 years. Um, and then in 1997, the northern half of the building's facade was um, already altered. Um, but it still re retained a reasonable level of historic integrity uh, to represent an example of industrial architecture in San Jose. In 2009, a major permit adjustment was issued to renovate the building, which included cladding the facade with granite veneer, altering the placement and configuration of materials of windows and doors, and creating new glass opening uh, below the parapet and constructing a new addition. Um, the Photos and uh, plans are included in the staff report. Um, so the conclusion is that the alterations that were conducted on the building since it was listed have resulted in a loss of historic integrity. And the building is no longer representative of a 1921 Spanish colonial revival style industrial building in San Jose. And therefore, the property is recommended for removal from HR. Okay. Any commissioner questions? Well, I was horrified when they did that to that building. Yeah. I remember it, you know, and then I thought, this is really awful. But um, anyway, I agree. <laughs> Any public comment? <laughs> yes, Mike? Yeah, it, it's quick. Mike Sonnegren, Preservation Action Council. Um, is it not reversing? Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's not. Um, also, the other question I have, and I have the highest respect for Dana and the decision making behind these uh, suggestions. So I hope this is taken in the right context. But um, what, I'm, I'm always curious what triggers it, right? And we were sitting there and saying, okay, this is this is a ostensibly it's a cleaning up of the inventory to make it more relevant, right? But, you know, is there any trigger? Was there was some concern that we've heard in the past from this, in front of this organization, people being concerned about being on a, an inventory because it might limit them from doing something or uh, create some undue burden. So I just want to make sure I understand that there, if there is a backstory, it would be interesting to know what it is. Um, but we, we don't object to it. You know, we understand the recommendation on the surface. So that was it. I think it's a fair question. I, I would share that question. So 
If you wouldn't mind answering. Yeah, sure. please. Uh, this was actually initiated, um, you know, by my myself. Um, it's come up for, I don't know if there's an application um, for it or not, but um, when things are in the inventory, then it triggers historic review. And so when this came up, we thought, well, this doesn't really <laughs> represent, I think, what the inventory property is supposed to represent. So it was put forth as a maintenance item. Okay. Um, one question that I had was whether it had the 2009 renovation or the changes were done with permits or, or was yes, it was an adjustment. Uh -huh. and, and, and I don't know why that was done. I don't yeah. know the answer to that. Okay. There was a permit adjustment? Yes. Somehow that it seems like that was whoever approved that permit didn't didn't think about the historic value of the property when they approved I don't it. know the reason. Yeah. I, I won't say that's necessarily the case. I just mm -hmm. don't know what the reason yeah. is. Yeah. All right. Um discuss uh, sorry. So we are going to entertain a motion to remove this property from the HRI. That's your will. That's your decision. Would there be a motion for that to, to remove the property as recommended? So moved. Okay. We have a second. We have a, a motion, a second to approve the recommendation as stated in the agenda. Any discussion? Yeah. I, I, I wonder if something could be added to the ordinance that aside from defaulting in the uh, a building like that because of uh, ill-conceived renovation, if we can somehow um, have the owners put in a stock in the plaza down there to, uh, you know, the, like the programs used to do, as a public, <laughs> public display of those who are ill-mannered. That's all rhetorical, but yeah. oh my gosh. Surprised got through. I am too. Yeah. I actually, you know, just coincidentally attended, I actually shopped at SG. That's what SG, right? I remember SG. And uh, bought some some carpeting there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before, I think that was before the 2009 renovation. Anyway, so uh, we have a motion before us we need to vote on. I will. Unless there's further discussion, proceed to the vote. Commissioner Ayala, do you approve? Yes, I approve. Okay. Commissioner Jenke? Yes. Commissioner Kamusa? Yes, I approve. Vice Chair Arroyo? Yes, I approve. Chair Ben, I approve. And the motion carries four to three absentees. And our next item on the agenda is item 5C, the Standing Committee for Recognition of Cultural Diverse Properties. Are we deferring this to the next to the next one? Um, I think you have the old agenda. Um, when the amended agenda came out, it was removed. Okay, thank you. Our next item then would be well, either five C or five D, depending on which agenda you have. So, do you have the amended wording for C? No. Oh, thank you. Very good. <laughs> <laughs>
So it is the 2024 Santa Clara County Preservation Alliance Awards Night, and our recommendation is to appoint a maximum of three members to the Historic Preservation of Preservation Awards Night Standing Committee and discuss selection card criteria for the award. Um, so I have one of the items that was attached to the agenda was um, the criteria for that was used last year to make this award selection. And uh, I wonder if you happen to have that with you, the commissioners present. Let me let me just flash it before you ask the question. I actually have this that I can show you if you've been able to take a look at it. Can you put it on the screen? Yeah. Okay. Um and I will basically are three different things on this on this information guide. And one of them is the proposed part criteria. Again, this was used in 2023, we've used it this year. And then the potential members for the advisory group, we could add or or subtract any of the names, that's fine. And then the tentative agenda for the first group meeting, okay? Um, the way it worked last year, and when I say last year, I really mean 2023, because we, we presented the award in May, was that um, the advisory committee compiled a list of about 10 properties. Then the standing committee, that would have been Larry and myself, considered all those lists and made a recommendation to the HLC. The HLC voted to approve that recommendation. And that was the um, the Cardoso Pigs building. Yeah, on the did, did, yeah. Sorry, did you have that criteria? <clears throat> yes. Okay. And it, this is going to be small print. I don't, I don't want to belabor this and I don't want to give you information that you don't need to know, but at the same time, if you haven't had a chance to read it, it may be important for you to, to look this over. Okay, can, can you read that? Okay, good. So I won't read that out loud. You'll notice that on the, the fifth bullet point, it states, the project should be completed in 2012 or more recently. However, this last year, we designated about 10 properties to be landmarks. Just this last year. And it's possible that we could make it more recent. And rather than 2012, we could do 2020. Mm -hmm. And we, there would still be an adequate uh, list to consider. So that's something we can discuss. Um, I'm open to your suggestions. Yeah, as far as that goes, the, 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 goes, the, the most recent uh, landmarking that, that's been done, it, it would be kind of cool to recognize that for mm -hmm. nothing more than uh, showing the current owners and other owners around San Jose that you know, there is some glory here. That's exactly what the point is. Yes, absolutely. I can. I have a list of names. I don't know if you were able to uh, uh, look for any other landmarks that were made, but I do have a list here in front of me. Uh, it's properties on Lexington Avenue, Winch South Winchester Boulevard, South Second Street. We should give it to the South Winchester Boulevard. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That that property is in danger of being demolished, so it's it's very sad. Yeah, um, East Humboldt Street, 
East Virginia Street, South 1st Street, South 2nd Street, South 6th Street. Another one on South 2nd Street, East Virginia Street, and North 1st Street. These are all properties that were designated this last year. But not necessarily. Uh, that's right. They, they, may or, they may not have been remodeled or restored in the last year or so. But they were recently added to the okay. So um, again, we have current language that says the project should be completed in 2012 or more recently. We can leave it that, and that might give uh, a little more. Should we we can update it to be 2014? You know, the okay. ten year window. That's true. Yeah. So that sounds good to you too, mm -hmm. Larry? Mm -hmm. Sure. And Ed, what does that sound good to you? 2014, let's do that. Um, the potential members, if you could scroll up a little yeah. bit. I have been a docent at the Roberto Adobe with Rosaline, and she's a very competent member. She had taught history at a high school for many years, she's retired now. She is available, so I know that for a fact. Um, and, I, and I think she might be a good addition to the advisory group. And then Krista Van Lan is a historian of local architecture. You know her, she's presented for this co yeah. uh, commission. And I think we're all familiar and value her uh, talent and uh, ability. Ben Leach was on the, on the uh, advisory group last year and Larry as, as well. Are there names that you would like to submit to be considered on this advisory committee or group, I should say? Commissioner Ayala. Oh, yeah. Commissioner Ayala? Uh, yes. Um, I would recommend uh, Ramon Martinez. Okay. He's a retired uh, professor and uh, <coughs> part of the La Raza Historical Society. Okay. But you know, last year they presented their own award, Commissioner Ayala. Oh, really? Uh -huh. yeah, they yeah, they were a big participant. It was really cool. Yeah. So, so is that a separate award? It can, I mean, is is it all you know part of? I mean, how many awards? It doesn't, it doesn't preclude. It doesn't preclude <laughs> yeah. Ramon from participating in the advisory committee. Sure. Uh, similarly to Ben Leach, he, you know, Pac San Jose presented an award and yet he participated sure. in the advisory group. Um, is he available? Do you know if he's available? That I don't, I do not. I haven't, um, you know, outreached. Okay, we can find out. And there's and there's nothing to preclude even having five members. I mean, that, that's not as many as you want. Yeah, yeah. One you want. well, it, it gets <laughs> a little bit um, cumbersome to try to contact everybody and have a meeting. Yeah. So we try to keep it a, a, a relatively small. I attended the first advisory group meeting, and then I turned it over to. At that point, it was Ed Song. Mm -hmm. um, he is. He may be available. I don't know. I haven't contacted him. Um, he was extremely busy last year, so it's just he's another name that we could we could consider. Mm -hmm. 
So depending on how you all feeling about that, we all know Ed, right? Yeah. Except for maybe, uh, yeah. oh, you know. Yeah. So please, I, I'm open to whatever your suggestions might be for this group. Yeah. Krista is a wonderful choice. Okay. And, and also um, Franklin Maggie. Maggie. Okay. But they work closely together, Christian and Franklin. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Do you have any suggestions? Okay. Um, can I ask you, uh, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful manner, but uh, Adriana, I mean, Commissioner Ayala has suggested Ramon Martinez. Do you have any feelings about that? Would that be something you'd be interested sure, in? Sure, of course. Okay. Of course. Mm -hmm. All right. And then the tentative uh, agenda. I don't think that needs to be discussed tonight. Okay. We'll go and dispense with that. But the main thing that we do need to do is vote on, uh, first of all, I think it was decided last month that we were going to pursue an award, but to have a standing committee that would make a recommendation to the, the commission. So last year it was Larry and I. I am willing. Larry, are you willing also sure, to course. be on the commission committee? Sure. But sure. I'm also willing to let somebody else do it. So yeah, if if I may. Sure. Yeah, if if there are too many, then no, I can be locked. Well, up. we can have three. So oh, absolutely, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Are you interested? In, I'll be happy. To, I don't think I have a family. Okay. Commissioner Ayala, are you interested in participating in a standing committee? N not at not at this time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't uh, why don't we go ahead and make it the three of us? That's okay. good. Sure. All right. And um, I don't think we need a. Do we need a formal vote on that? I think we've essentially done that. Um, we're all in agreement that mm -hmm. it'll be Commissioner Jenkins, Commissioner Camusa, and myself. The next item on the agenda is the uh, referrals from city council boards, commissions, or other agencies. There are no items. The next item is open forum number seven. Members of the public are invited to speak on any item that does not appear on today's agenda and that is within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission. The commission cannot engage in any substantive discussion or take any formal action in response to the public comment. The commission can only ask questions or respond to statements to the extent necessary to determine whether to, one, refer the matter to staff for follow-up, two, request staff to report back on the matter in a subsequent meeting, or three, direct staff to place the item on a future agenda. Each member of the public may fill out a speaker's card and has up to two minutes to address with me. All right, let's. Uh, Mike, are you interested in making always? Always, <laughs> please. Okay. Um, uh, so I sent an email to all of you earlier this week um, regarding the Bank Theater. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, is it appropriate to ask if Dana can put the pictures up on the screen? Is that something in open forum that we can actually do? I don't know. <laughs> it's Robert's giving me okay. If it's ready, I'm ready, but not. Yeah, anyway, you, you saw the pictures. Yes. 
And uh, the concern we have, I've already heard back from Susan Ellenberg's office that as far as they're concerned, it's been annexed into San Jose, so it belongs to San Jose, uh, said truly it's San Jose's problem, right? You know, um, that is not um, who Susan is. She's very responsive, very good, you know, supervisor in dealing with the public. So I suspect that she genuinely means that. And um, to us, it looks disrespectful to the community. It looks disrespectful to the property um, in just every way. If you can cycle through to the, the uh, terrazzo, I mean, that was not a professional effort at the very least. And it certainly, um, certainly in our mind encourages that we officially should respond to that as a city. And I'm not looking for a public current owners are responsible for that. Yeah, they did it. They did it. Um, as, as far as we know, right? So um, I just, I put it before the uh, Landmarks Commission. I sent a message um, you know, that included the mayor, included, um, you know, Deb Davis's uh, office. I have not heard back from everybody yet. I haven't heard from anybody in code enforcement, but I, I didn't really expect to, you know, this quickly. But I do think that there, I'm not even sure if it's a violation of code, but it certainly, I think, warrants some sort of formal response from the city. Um, that is my comment. And open. Thank you. Thank and you. Just, just to, um, I wanted to provide a little more information on that is that I also wrote to Susan Ellenberg. I also wrote to Deb Davis, and I did get a response from Susan Ellenberg saying the same thing you did. But the response from the staff of Ms. Davis was that um, they would follow up with code enforcement. Okay. Yeah. So that was done. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Are there any plans uh, for the site? Not that I am aware of. Are you aware of any plans for the site? Are you still on the site? The owner has owned it for three years, is that right? No, it was it was sold. I don't know, can we comment? I'm asking a question. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it was sold in auction. Uh, I don't think it was three years ago. When we last looked at it, it was a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and um, there, there was no uh, plan that's been submitted, but okay. our understanding was demolition. Right. Okay. Is the, is the intent. So. Did they list it for sale again? Do they? They tried to. Maybe we can get the buyers. They're trying to flip it. Okay, uh, are there any members of the public online that would like to speak? No. So our next, our uh, commissioners, do you have anything you'd like to add to the public, excuse me, open forum? Okay, I'm gonna add a couple of things. Wanted to find out if there's, again, I, I don't mean to harbor on this or, or dwell on this too much, but the, the log cabin at Allen Rock Park. Yeah. And then the Coyote Depot, I understand that is going to be moved to History Park. That's my understanding. But you don't have any information about that? No. Okay. I just, it was brought to our attention when it was on the council agenda. Okay. That's, that was at least a month ago, I think. It seemed like it was going to happen very soon. Yeah. I All think right. it's being funded by the county. Okay. And then I just, uh, as 
somebody community interest. There's a children heritage holiday happening at History Park this weekend, and it is um, five dollars per person, regardless of your age, seniors, children, whatever. It's paid five dollars. There will be crafts, cultural performances, and Santa Claus. So it's gonna be funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's at 11 o'clock in the morning, both this Saturday as well as the next Saturday, the 16th. Okay, our next item on the agenda is item eight, good and welfare, a report from Secretary Planning Commission and City Council. Um, was there a verbal update for us? We don't have any updates this month. Can you take that even, Robert? It happened at Planning Commission or City Council. I don't think we're seeing City uh, uh, item 8A2 is a summary of communications received by HLC. HLC. None? Just the item that Mike. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then 8A3 is the next meeting is February 7th, 2024 in San Jose City Hall, room rooms 118 to 120. Um, that's our, our next meeting. So we will be skipping the month of January. Everybody is clear about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the next item is 8B, report from committees, the design review subcommittee. No meeting was held on November 16th. Our next meeting is scheduled for Thursday, December 21st. Unlikely. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Our next item is 8C, act, approval of action minutes. A recommendation is to approve the action minutes for the HLC meeting on November 1st, 2023. So moved. So moved. And, second. Okay, second. We, uh, Vice Chair Roya and uh, seconded by Commissioner Jenke to approve the action minutes. Any debate? Okay, we'll proceed to a vote. All those in favor say aye. 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 So we have a unanimous. Approval. I think uh, she sorry. said aye. She was I, on mute. <laughs> good. <laughs> okay. Our next item is I, item 8D cir circulating environmental documents. No item. So without any um, objection, I will adjourn the meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah and happy holidays. And Thank you. Bye, Ms. Mariola. Happy holidays. You too. Thank you. Bye.